You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. The focal passage today is from John, John 9, verses 1 through 7. It'll be on the screens invite you to take a second to turn there if you want to, and I'll read it for us. It's John 9, 1 through 7. It says this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the words of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is God's word. You guys can be seated and the children can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. Me again. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here and we're really excited that you're hanging out with us today. So we're part of a church planting network. It's called Acts 29 and Part of the benefit of that is uh, coaching and support and some other things. And one of the ways that shows up is in the last year, it was kind of like a a new initiative. I, twice a year, get to go hang out with like 12 guys in a house. Uh, We did this once in St. Louis and once in Wisconsin. And we spent about two and a half days together just kind of like learning, getting to know one another. And, and all of those guys have churches in similar kind of season of life, similar church size and all those things. And so we kind of process stuff and, and work together to solve problems together and coach one another and be an encouragement to one another. And a few months back, I was in, in St. Louis, and one of the guys there was sharing a bit of his life and his story, and he, he told us of this, of his son, who was like mid-20s. He was recently on his own for the first time, and so they were kind of like testing the waters on what that looked like. Uh, through tears, my friend kind of confesses how hard it's been, uh, living in his, his own home with his son who has multiple diagnosed mental illness, illnesses and, and how those things have shaped so much of his family's life. And he talked about like abuse among his kids and just like really difficult stuff, you know? And He's like processing, like anybody else, like the, the why in like all these things. And, and he, he says, you know, I, I know myself and I know my own heart and I know my own pride and my own arrogance. And I know how that pride and arrogance has often taken lead in my life. And he said, you know, 
whether this is true or not, and so I'm, I'm sharing his words with you, I'm not speculating on the situation, but he said, I, I can see a sovereign aspect of God's provision that would allow me to have this child in my life whom I love with everything in me so that I might be humbled and conformed to the image of Jesus in a way that there is no way I could be humbled and conformed to the image of Jesus apart from this relationship in my life. Now that's really difficult and that's really tough. It takes us to this this place to where we acknowledge who God is and we say that God's ways are not our ways and, and he doesn't know and, and I don't know what's going on, but it isn't a wild thought that God, the God of the universe, gives us what we, what we need, not always just what we want. I think we can prove that from scripture time and time again and certainly we could prove that from our life experience. God is aware of every broken part, every suffering, every evil, and yet he is in control of all things. And in his manifest wisdom that that we don't always have access to, he weaves the will of fallen humanity into, uh, and, and, and all of broken creation and all of those things into his divine plans and purposes for good. In this life, there is pain. And I don't, I don't have to say that. But, but in this life, there is pain. And, and some of it is nearly unbearable, and, and some of it, it doesn't go away. And in those moments, it's easy to blame or to reject or to just kind of scratch our heads at, at maybe God's work or, or maybe we blame or maybe we just dismiss altogether. Maybe we want to just oversimplify it and we just say, like, everything happens for a reason. And, and it's just this kind of surface level, easy pacifier to get us through to the next day. Or maybe we dismiss all those things altogether. Maybe we ask questions like, of God, is he able and he just doesn't act? Is that what's going on? Or, or is he unable and maybe he's, he's not God at all, which is tough? Why me? Why this? Why now? And here's the thing I don't, I don't have today all the answers to all those questions that you've probably asked in your life at one time or another, maybe even this week. I don't have all the answers for all of those things, but there is one thing that I can say confidently, and it's that God is always at work, and he isn't unable, and even when it feels like he may be unwilling, he surely does so for greater plans, for greater purposes, most of which we will not know this side of eternal life with him forever. And we can reject him on that account, and say, I'm unwilling to acknowledge uh, that I am dust and I don't know all the things. And people do that. And maybe you've done that. Or we can embrace him as God of comfort through thick and thin and good and bad, through the wins and through the losses. And kind of the, the big idea today is, is the works of God. They flow through the highs and the lows. They require response and they lead to worship. 
Like that's what we see today. It's a, a narrative. It's an account that we get to read and we get to see Jesus and some other people interact with, with a man who was born blind. And we get to figure out what that looks like. And so before we move on, and because this is like uh, up here and it's also down here and some places in between and that makes this a little difficult, I do want to just kind of define the works of God for our purposes. And this isn't like... Uh, textbook stuff. This is just me saying, like, what do we mean by that? And this is what I would mean. The works of God are the active movement of God to carry out his purpose and plans. That's what, that's what I mean by the, the works of God, the active movement of God to carry out his purpose and his plan. So here we see uh, Jesus. We've been journeying along for eight chapters. We jump into John, the ninth chapter, and John is, is telling us who this Jesus is so that we may believe. That's why he's writing all of these things. And so we see these interactions, and, and here's another act of healing. And so what we get to see is kind of some behind-the-scenes glimpse into life's pain. And maybe we can connect with that. Uh, into some insight of Jesus engaging those pains, and then we get to see how we respond to all of that in all of life. And we'll get to see some other people respond in some different ways. And so there are three things that we're going to look at with regard to the works of God today. The works of God are, one, displayed even through affliction, and that's what we'll look at uh, first. And then secondly, they stir a variety of responses. And thirdly, they produce belief and worship. And if you have a little weekly, all those things are uh, kind of typed out for you. The first thing is this. The works of God are displayed even through affliction. So, so here we go, right? Starting in chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who's sin, this guy or his parents? That's not, that's not really a crazy question. Uh, not in ancient Jewish culture or in 2022 in the United States of America. That, that's not a crazy thing. Uh, he is suffering affliction. And the obvious conclusion we draw is since bad things don't happen to good people, like who's to blame? Isn't that the question? Or, or maybe it's since bad things only happen to bad people, we can assume that this guy or his parents are at fault, and this is just some cosmic you know, uh, rebuke of whatever sin it was that they did, and their son seems to be now grown up into a man, has been blind his whole life, uh, as a, retribu a cosmic retribution for his sin. Here's the thing. Most of us in this room, I, I won't speak for you, but I think, I think most of us in this room, we would probably with our lips oppose what's commonly referred to as like prosperity theology or, or the prosperity gospel. Um, that is a, a false thinking or a false teaching that if you do the right things and you keep all the rules, then you'll be happy, uh, healthy, and full. Most of us would be like, that. that's that's not true. In, in reality, what that is, and there are lots of pastors and lots of uh, authors and lots of churches that, that preach that, like lots and lots and lots of them throughout this world. But what that is, it's essentially this false idea of, of karma 
but it's just cloaked in language of the Bible. That's what prosperity theology is. It's like you get what you deserve. And, and if you're getting bad things, then, then that means that you're, that you're doing something bad. So that's what they're asking. They're just asking that question. But here's the reality. Many of us also fall into traps that reveal just how much we really buy into that thinking. Like, like if I can just try hard and, and if I can just be good, then, then, what, then what kind of good God would allow pain and affliction and death and sickness and poverty and discomfort and, and all of the violence that's just been in the news for the last week, let alone our lifetime, natural disasters and all the things like how if I just do the right things then then how could this stuff come my way and that creates in us a tension that is it's difficult to resolve certainly in this life alone and so at, at, at some point we have to acknowledge things that are true and we have to acknowledge our experience and we try to put those together and, and two and two might not it might not always seem to give us four in the moment so we have to have these these humble mysteries that we hold in tension with one another. That's what we get to do. But we must understand that all that is is not visible with, with these eyeballs. All that is, all that's going on, all the, the whys and the hows and the whats, it, there, there's more than what we see and and. From cover to cover, we see that in this book. We see that we, we have a vantage point and we see some things, but we don't see all the things. And, and even more than that, uh, this is not the redeemed version of heaven and earth. It is the, the busted up, battered version where sin wreaks havoc inside of us and all around us. So that idea of like, how can this be? That idea of all the, like, it, it ought not be like that. The idea of, of sitting at, at a funeral and just thinking, what is this? Because I feel death's sting. The idea of literally watching news and, and just thinking, how, how can this be? All of those longings from us, man, God doesn't say don't have those longings. He doesn't say that you can't gaze at the ought nots. But, but the reality is that those are heavenly longings. Those are heavenly longings. We're not always going to be able to see those things in, in this broken up, busted version where sin wreaks havoc and has its way. So Jesus responds in, in, in some helpful ways. And he says, well, that's a great question. It, it, it was actually not this man that sinned, nor was it his parents that sinned. Okay, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So remember the question, why was this person born blind? Who's to blame? Mom or dad or, or, or the person? And Jesus says, neither. He was, he was born this way and we're interacting with him on this day so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he goes on, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me. It's Jesus talking about his father who sent him. While it is day, night is coming where no one can work. 
So he's saying is, uh, I'm here for now, and so long as I'm here, there's, there's light, and there will be a time in the future where things are dark, and there can be no work done. So just from that, uh, a couple observations about affliction that we learn from Jesus, right? The first one is this. Suffering isn't always a result of personal sin. That, that should give some of us comfort, because I, I know I've stood in the back of this space after preaching and, and heard prayers from you. You come over and you say, what have I done that I am suffering this affliction? And the comfort here is, is suffering isn't always a result of personal sin. Well, does that leave some questions? It sure does. Am I going to give all the answers to that today? I, I'm not. But, but here's the thing, the suffering and the pain and the, the ought not bees, all of those things, they're, they're, they're not necessarily one-to-one -one with your personal obedience or sin. On the other side of that, it would, it would be foolish to say that God doesn't judge sin. And sometimes it shows up in ways that, that are personal affliction because of personal sin. We see that throughout, throughout the scriptures. We see that in the Old Testament. We see the nation of Israel rebel against God, turn to false idols, right? Sacrifice to pagan gods, marry into a family that's not the family of God. And he, he sends nations to destroy them. If you've ever read the Minor Prophets, that's all that it is. It's his people reject him and God judges them harshly for their sin. And you know what usually happens? They say this this sucks, and I hate this. God, we're fools to turn away from you. And he invites them back in. He bestows blessings upon them. So, so this is not a foolish question. And, and it's not, it's not uh, one or the other, but it's both, and it's not one to one. And so we get to see that this man, it wasn't his sin or the sin of his parents. It was so that God might be glorified. And at the same time, we do get to see throughout scriptures that sometimes afflictions are the result of personal sin. In the New Testament, uh, those who are mishandling communion, they're taking the Lord's table, bread and cup, in a way that's unworthy Maybe they're not reflecting over their own sin. And Paul says, this is why some are sick and why some have even died. That's in the New Testament, people. Another thing that we learn is, is suffering, like everything else, is an opportunity for God's glory. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. If this man has been born blind and lived without sight his entire life so that God's glory might be put on display, what does that mean for our affliction and for our suffering? Third thing, suffering is an invitation for God's people to, to join God's work. Remember, he goes on, he says, we must work the works while light, while, while light remains. He, he didn't say, guys, sit back, I've got some work to do. What does he say? We must work the works while light remains. And you can imagine that, like, his disciples are like, yeah, yeah, you get him. Wait, wait, what? We? Like, you, you're inviting me into the works of God? 
Yes. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did. That's what he continues to do, to invite us, his people, into the works of God while the light remains, whatever that means. So how do we do that? Well, here's the thing, like, Maybe you do, but I don't in, in myself have the power to bring physical sight to the blind. Like, I, I can't, I, I, don't, I don't know the equation to make that happen. But we do get to petition God that he might, by the authority that he has given us, through his power, do just that. Or any other thing. And so what we get to do, we get to pray. Our prayers are joining the works of God. Submitting to him. Inviting him to move in ways. And, and if it be so, that he would use us. But not, not only prayer. But we get to offer greater sight to all who live in a world of darkness. And we get to do that by showing up and, and comforting them out of compassion like Jesus shows us here. We get to, uh, we get to engage them. Uh, Jesus addresses kind of the physical with compassion here. But, but his greater aim is to reveal larger truths uh, of the spiritual world. That all are blind and that he is light. And we can certainly offer that to this broken world around us. We need to point to him in all things, whether we see or not. So we, we have to understand that all that is is not necessarily visible. And, and even more than that, this is not the redeemed version of heaven and earth. It is the, the busted up version where sin wreaks havoc and, and Jesus is at work to make all things new and he even invites us into those works whether we know it or not which are displayed even through affliction. So how does Jesus respond? He responds by spitting on the dirt and making like a dirt meatball and, and rubbing the mud in this guy's eye and his eyeballs. And he says, go wash in the fountain of scent. Or maybe he'd be like, around here, he'd be like, there's a water feature at Markham Park. It looks like an M. Just stand under it uh, and just let it, you know, like wash this stuff out. And then, and then we can chat. And so... Go wash in the fountain of scent. The man came back seeing. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen like those videos or maybe you've experienced this in your own life where like the little toddler can't hear and they've never heard anything in their entire life and they put the little like uh, ocular implant or whatever it is and I saw one this week. And you know, I'm like, like, I'm a sucker for, for that. Yeah. Because like the kids just sitting there chilling and then they put it in, and they're like, it's going to be about five seconds. And then they're like, hey, baby, hey, baby. And it's like, it's just wide-eyed. And for the first time, it's, th there's a whole world that it never knew existed. Or that it knew existed, but it didn't know how to interact with it. That's what's happening here. It's sensory overload. Can you imagine this man? He's born blind his whole life, and suddenly he can see and, and like things that we take for granted, like uh, something that's far away is, looks this big, even though if it's like a lot bigger, like you wouldn't even, how would you know that? 
How would you know perspective? And so he's just taking in stuff and he, and he doesn't have answers for all of it. He doesn't have a language for all of it. He's just like, I, I went and I, I came back seeing, but, but in the best way, right? So to this point, we observe a story, but, but as God does, he, he takes us wider than one man in one moment and he invites us in to the works of God. The works of God are displayed even through affliction. And the second thing is, is they stir a variety of responses. And this is like the... Most of the sermon is just, we're going to look at the way these people respond. It's kind of cool. So here's what happens. That happens. And then as you might imagine, kind of all heck, it breaks loose. And there's a lot going on here. Uh, in, in summary, when, when God's works are put on display, not everyone responds to them in the same way. Go figure, huh? Usually when something significant happens around here in modern times, people are pretty much united around that, you know? It's just such a weird thing, like ancient people, am I right, you know? Now this gets weird. Um, so here's what happens. I'm going to give some summary. The first people that we see are, are the neighbors, the ones that are like right there. And they're like, is this not the same guy who usually is like begging in the streets? The, the blind guy? Is this not him? And some say, yeah, it's him. And some say, no, it's like a lookalike. You know, it's similar, but it's not him, but it's like, it's close, brother, I don't know. That makes sense, that people are not united in this. And here's some crazy stuff. Everybody's trying to get a handle on, like, these works of God, right? So, so I, I wrote this line on Monday, and, I, and then I experienced this line on Friday. Real talk. This is the line that I wrote on Monday. The, the test showed a tumor. The doctor confirmed it, all the tests, radiation, chemo, all the things. They go to do the surgery, and now it's gone. Like, like I wrote that on Monday, and then on Friday, like, that happened to my dad. Like, that happened. And so, more on that later, maybe sometime, but here's the thing, even in that little moment, everybody responds differently. It's like, this, this doesn't happen, and, and maybe it's science and modern medicine, yeah, and maybe it's the Lord himself offering just divine, common medical grace, Yeah. And maybe that is not true at all. And maybe there's a conspiracy and maybe it's a cover-up. Like all the things. Like how do people respond to just one thing like that? And, and just like in this moment, the, the neighbors and everyone around, they, they just don't know what to do. And, and they're not aligned in anything. There's a second guy that we see his response. And it's the guy himself. The guy is amazed. And he keeps saying, uh, they're like, isn't this the guy, the, the beggar? Isn't this him? And he's like, yeah, 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 it's me. I am he. He is me. I am the, I'm the guy. Yes, I'm the guy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, But like, isn't that him? And he's like, guys, guys, I'm right here. Like, hold up some fingers. I'll tell you how many you're holding up. I couldn't do that yesterday, right? That's not in the Bible. It's, it's in the amplified version maybe, but not in the good old ESV. Um, so, so they say, oh, really? And, and then 
Uh, then how? They ask him, like, how did this happen? He says, the man called Jesus made mud, and he anointed my eyes, and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I did, and I received my sight. It's like that simple. And they're like, well, then where is he? And he's like, shrug emoji. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's like, I mean, you imagine, it doesn't say this, but I don't even know what he looks like. I couldn't see him. <laughs> like, what do you want from me? And then you have this. You have the guy's parents who, who get roped in this interrogation. And so the Pharisees, who we'll talk about at length in a minute, they're like, this can't be because they're like opposing Jesus. This is not good. So they go to the guy's parents and they say, what happened? And the, the parents, do they say like, praise be to Jesus. He healed him. My son answered to prayer. We prayed our entire life from the time he was a baby, and we knew that he couldn't catch the ball like the other kids because he couldn't see the ball. And we told him to clean his room, and he, like, whatever, right? We've been praying our, his entire life. They didn't say that. You know what they said? We're not really sure. You're going to need to talk to him about that. They were afraid. Their response was fear. They were unwilling to cooperate with the, the interrogations and investigation because they were afraid. It, 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 it comes at a cost to confess God's work of light in a dark world. It comes at a cost. You know that. Anybody can say, like, oh, Jesus, what a guy. But when you say, I build my life around this, this Jewish carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago that died and then he lived three days later. He rose up into heaven. He's ruling and reigning. Even right now. You start saying that stuff? No. That comes at a cost. There's a social cost to acknowledging the work of God. So for them, they could have faced persecution. Certainly the social impact of proclaiming Christ as healer. Here are answered prayers. They prayed their entire life. But when it happened, they didn't lead to thanks. It led to fear of man more than thankfulness for God. And then we get the Pharisees' response, right? The Pharisees are these religious law keepers, uh, they're, they're essentially a political group. They're powerful. They're the antagonist of the New Testament. They're the people that, that Jesus like, like, uh, like butts up against in every page virtually of the Gospels. And so if you're sitting there, you're like, oh, the self-righteous religious types. Yeah, I know what this church is all about. Like, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't a fan, and, and neither am I. And yet... We get to see this interaction of how they respond, and they brought him to the Pharisees. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud, and he opened his eyes. And for some of you, like, what does that mean? It means that, well, they have some real problems. And we've seen this before. See, the Sabbath is from God for humanity. It's a gift. So the Sabbath is from God for humanity to honor God through rhythms of work and rest. That's what the Sabbath is. Work six days, lay down productivity on the seventh to worship, to rest, to acknowledge God as the ultimate provider of all things. So we get to do that for our good. And we're not slave to the Sabbath. We don't serve the Sabbath. It serves us. That's what we see. So the Pharisees, in, in the name of defining rest, because it becomes really difficult, well, what is rest? And if I'm working six days, well, what does it mean not to work? Does that mean that I can do dishes? 
Does that, that mean that I can do dishes only if I have a dishwasher, but no dishes in the sink with this? That's too much work. Does it mean that I can do work that's not vocational work? I can do housework? Can I mow the grass? Great questions. When you, when you have all the answers, let me know. So, so they turned the Sabbath into, this is easy, into more burden. That's what they did. That's what the self-righteous do. They turned the good gifts of God into more burden, more rule-keeping. Well, why is this significant that they say this about the Sabbath? Because one of the rules that they added to God's law, this is not in God's law, about the Sabbath is what they added to it. One of the rules said that there could be no clay working on the Sabbath. Now, what that would mean for us is like the manufacturing facility that produces uh, cookware, they should probably shut down on, on the Sabbath. Because clay working, hey, we need some pots and pans around here to cook over the fire, whatever it is, Clay working, that, that's work for them. That, that's household stuff. I don't know if you see where I'm going with this. The accusation of Jesus is that he did clay work on the Sabbath because he spit into dirt and he made it into mud and he shoved it in the guy's eyes. He broke the Sabbath. Therefore, he is a devil. So they set out to get to the bottom of this, right? And I say that, like, they set out to, like, get to the bottom of this, like, scowl, eyebrow raised. And so they sent out a team of investigators, and they asked the man. We're, like, in verse 15 here. Uh, and, and the man says, he put mud on my eyes, and I wash them, and I see. Which is my favorite thing in all the world, because I complicate things that are really simple, and I just love that this is like super simple. Like what happened? Well, actually, here's what happened, right? He's like, the dude spit, made mud, shoved it in my face. I washed in the fountain. My eyes were open. Here's an observation about, this, this sermon is just a series of tangents. That's okay. Like I, it's not how I normally roll, but today that's just how we're rolling, I guess. An observation about God's work is, is that it doesn't always add up. It's not math. It's not an Ikea, build your own, whatever. It's not uh, magic fountains. But you can imagine when, when someone found out, you know what some young entrepreneur said, I got to buy that fountain and we're going to start bottling the stuff. You know they did that. That's how we work. Opportunistic. And then you have idols, and then, you, and then you have people trying to figure out, like, uh, firsthand witness. No, it was like a, it was a decent, it was a decent, like, sized loogie that he spit. And, like, what, what was the dirt to spit ratio? Because if you don't get that right, it's not, but here's the thing, it, it was none of those things. God's work is not a formula. It's not, it's not any of those things. In, in the works of God to make the blind see or in, in, in any other thing, it's, it's not the fountain. It's not a magic fountain. It's, it's God's work. And he could have done it any way that he wanted. He could have rubbed hot sauce in the guy's eyes and suddenly he could see. So there's division among the Pharisees and they say he's a sinner for breaking the Sabbath. That's what they say. 
And then some say, well, how, okay, explain to me this. How can a sinner do these things? How can he do such signs? This is not the first. This is the sixth miracle, guys. We have to see that, that something's going on. So they ask the blind man again. What happened? We need more information. And some said, he's a prophet. And some said, you weren't blind. And he's like, oh, trust me, I think I know. I've been blind my entire life. They go to the parents. They ask the parents. That's when they say that thing, right? And, and, and then they say, go ask him yourself. And so when they go to the man again, they say, uh, tell us what happened. And, and this is what they say to the man who was blind, who now sees. They say, give God, give glory to God. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. And they're like, no, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. There's no way this happened. And this is what the guy says. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that I was blind and now I see. <laughs> the liberty in that is that our lives can be transformed. And people say like, how does God do, like, uh, and you say, I, I don't know, and like some finer point of some theology and scripture, and, 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 and we get to do the same. Like, I don't know. I, I, I want to try to find answers, and we can figure it out, and we can chat with some friends that are pretty knowledgeable in that area. But here's the thing. I don't know, but I know that my life is a shipwreck. And I walked in darkness, but by his grace, he shone light, and now I see my life was transformed. Well, this is what they said. Well, how did he do it? I don't know. And then they say, uh, then, then the man says, why are you so curious about this? Like, do you want to be his disciple? Like, that's cool. He's like sticking it to the man. He's like, what, what is your problem? Like, do you want to follow him? And they say, no, you, you want to follow him. We follow Moses. And then they say, we don't even know where this guy's from. Even though Jesus has told him 10,000 times, I'm from my father who sent me. I'm not from here, I'm from above. And then the man answered, this is the best. Why this is an amazing thing. He's talking to the Pharisees that are interrogating him. Why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. You don't even know where he's from. Look, I was blind and now I see. What an amazing thing. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind, says the man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then the Pharisees, Listen to what they say. We finally see the heart of their response. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. They condemned the guy. You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? Do you even know who you're talking to? The guy clearly doesn't give a flip about who he's talking to. And, this is, and, and they cast him out of the synagogue. They cast him out. What a shame right in front of them and they can't see it. 
we finally see their motivation. It's, it's pride. It's been pride all along. They have power. They have control. They have the answers. And no one else is going to show them otherwise. Not, literally not God himself is going to change their mind. So there's a variety of responses and, and, and there's curiosity and fear and pride and amazement. And those things can either harden our hearts or they can, they can humble our hearts, right? And so just some, some quick questions for us. Like, how have you responded to the works of God? How have you responded to God's work? Uh, or, or, or who has brought light into this otherwise dark world when that's happened? What, what do you do? Is it curiosity? And if you find yourself here today because you're like on an investigation, you're a seeker, and you're saying, I don't get it all, I need more information, I want to take a closer look, we're super glad that you're hanging out. I, man, I would love to chat with you, but not only me, there are, there are lots of people that would love to hang out and chat about what that looks like. Maybe it's fear, right? And, and fear leads to kind of the faithless waffling that, that cannot please God. Maybe that's been the course of your life. You just cater to man over God over and over. Again, maybe it's pride. This religious pride is pretty easy to point out. It, it highlights their greatness compared to everyone else. It leads to minimizing the dignity and the humanity and the worth, the story, God's work in others and here they remove him from fellowship. They never wanted the truth. That's why they keep asking the questions. And I know you've dealt with a hard-hearted human before. Or they ask you a question and you tell them the answer. And they reframe it. Well, why do, uh, well, why do I have to? Well, because this is why. Yeah, but why do I have to? Okay, you don't want the answer. You don't want truth. You want to be right, and that's pride, and that's wicked. That's what we see. Or we see the man respond in amazement. He has seen the light, light that was veiled by darkness until he met Jesus. So the question for us is, is your heart gripped by the grace that has shone into darkness? And all that leads us to the, the last point. The works of God produce belief and worship. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, we talked about this before, but the Son of Man is, is a reference from the Old Testament, uh, Daniel, who talks about the Son of Man that will come, and he will reign, and he will restore all things forever. And Jesus, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the, the guy blind who now sees, he says, and, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It's probably like a pun. You, ha you would think it had to be a pun. You have seen him, and it is he who's speaking to you. Jesus probably went like, I'm, I'm right here. And his response, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See, God uses all kinds of works. And on this day, he healed one man that was born blind. Spurgeon helps kind of sum up the back end of this passage. And he says it this way. The quote will be on the screen, I think. He says, 
It is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ, it is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ, it is our supposed light that holds back his hand. So we're saying it's, it's not all the things that we think hold, hold us back from seeing the works of God. It's when we think that we're really a big deal and God wants to show us that we're not. That's, that's where the beauty is. The gifts of God, they must lead us to the true and the final gift from God, Jesus himself. And there is no belief, there is no worship apart from the works of God. In those works, when humbly embraced, they lead us to Jesus. Our hearts can turn to no other place if we see the works of God and we merely marvel that our eyes work, we miss it. I say that to this man on this day, if he walked away seeing with his physical eyes, but he didn't know who Jesus is, it's an L for the day. The greatest work of God is that Jesus, perfect and eternal, he took up darkness, the darkness of the cross, to suffer and die in the place of sinners like you and like me because we walk in darkness. And he did that to give us eyes to see and life to live for the glory of God when things are good and when things are bad today and forever. The works of God through, through miracles, through common graces, through answered and unanswered prayers, all those things are glimpses of greater work. They're, ju they're just shadows. They're just glimpses of greater work that Jesus is making all things new. He's the only one that can do it because he is God. Jesus engaging dark, broken, sin-infected creation to make what he created it to be a paradise of God's grace and glory and joy. And in all of these things, a momentary flash of a future reality that is ours, it is ours for all who put their trust and worship Jesus. So this man's, his new sight is, is not, not merely about sight, but it's, it's Jesus unveiling light that will carry into eternity. Jesus shows this man's life. It was a culmination of God's glory. And on this day, in this town, in this moment, it, it looked like a miracle of sight. But here's the thing, like, will that guy's eyesight fade in old age? Maybe. Maybe it will. Maybe his eyesight will fade, will, will fade in old age. But, but in the scheme of eternity, you better believe that his glory-filled eyes will gaze at Jesus in true belief and worship forever. The band can come on up. The, the work of God is, is making Christ known, trusted, treasured above all things. That's what the work of God is doing. His works to, to do that are as varied as snowflakes. Right? They, they don't look the same. Those who are able to receive that work are those who believe and those who worship him. And the result is this. Jesus would say many, many times, well, what do I do if I find myself believing and trusting that he is the one? Follow me. That's what he said. 
and maybe it's more complicated than that, but it's, it's certainly not simpler than that. Guys, if you believe in me, then follow me. Right? Receive what I've given you. Receive what you can never earn for yourself. And, and follow me in the life that I'm giving you. So this is where we consider how we will respond to the works of God through this passage and through our life. And, and today, maybe you're intrigued and curious. Maybe you need more information. That's okay. You can hang out. Hang out with us. We would love that, right? Connect to a community group. Process some of this stuff or, or your struggles together. Maybe you're afraid. And you say, man, I, I want to follow Jesus, but at what cost? Maybe you're just prideful and you just reject him at, on, on the face of it. And maybe you're amazed to the point where you trust, you believe, and you would worship him with all your life. We're going to respond today. However that meets us, we can respond by sitting right where you are, standing up and singing as the band leads us through worship, through song. You can pray at that prayer bench over there if you just need some space by yourself. If you want to pray with someone, you can meet them by that red tree over there. They would love to pray with you about anything, about trusting Jesus, physical stuff, emotional needs, whatever. Like, we just want to pray with you. And for those who are in Christ, we get to respond and we get to remember all of Christ's work, the culmination of, of God's work that Jesus laid down his life to give us life. And we do that by taking communion. We take the, the bread and the cup, and we do that to remember that, that his body was broken for us, his blood was spilled for us, so that we might live. And not only that, that we might share a meal with Jesus and his people forever. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for, thanks for your word that you preserve it for us so that we might know you, we might see interactions, that, that you might bring us into your story in some just cool ways. Thanks for this guy who responded, and, and it, it seems like that, that one day we will get to spend eternity with him alongside everyone else who, who responds to your work and just believes, trusts you above all things, God, would you let us do that? Would you let our lives respond through just pointing to you in worship and your glory all the days of our life? In Jesus' name, amen.